Such a simple story, yet the profound impact of what happened that day, the world wasn't ready for. But yet, God in his heart knew exactly what he was doing every step of the way. Jesus comes and he's born. As any child is born, he's laid in that manger and there are signs in the heavens and there are wise men that are en route and the world is feeling the shakeup of something significant happening, although not completely aware of exactly what is happening. And many like that today know about Jesus and know about the Christmas story and know about the fact that Jesus was born and laid in a manger. There was no room for the end. They know the details, but maybe they haven't met Jesus yet. Today's a day where that can change. First John uh, 28 through 30 is the text that I want to use. And the message I want to bring to you today is called the right view of Christmas. You realize everyone's entitled to their own point of view. Amen? But that doesn't mean they're entitled to their own truth. Truth is truth. I hear people say, well, that's your truth. No, there is the truth. And then there is not truth. And so there's a right point of view to have for Christmas because God the Father in heaven designed uh, this experience for us to come and see who he sent in Jesus. And we catch up with John here, and John was a Baptist. So you can guess. Now, I don't mean he was a denominational Baptist. I mean, he was baptizing people. John was doing what John did. He was baptizing. And we catch up with John, and he has an encounter with Jesus. You know, so the scriptures could be fulfilled, John would baptize Jesus. And there's an awesome moment there where John baptizes him, and the heavens open up, and the Holy Spirit descends, and the Father speaks. It's a beautiful picture of the Trinity. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all at the same time. And God says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Wow. So John is a Baptist, and he's doing what John the Baptist was called to do. We catch up with him in verse 28 of the book of John. It says this, These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he, John, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Listen, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What a proclamation for him to make. As he sees Jesus coming through the crowd, he's doing his ministry. He's a a forerunner of Christ. He's preparing the way of the Lord. He's baptizing people in water for the forgiveness of sins so that the, the nation of Israel particularly would realize that they need a Savior and that the Messiah was coming. So John's doing his thing. He sees Jesus coming through the crowd. Behold, he says. Basically saying, look, look. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 30, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. So he testifies a little bit about Jesus here and he gets the people's attention and he calls their attention to Jesus as he comes through the crowd. Now understand something here. John calls attention to Jesus and not himself. Most people, especially these days, and it's the way our culture is, and it's the way we're wired as human beings, but many times we like people to pay attention to us. You see this in little children. They want your undivided attention all the time. Hopefully some of us grow up, and we can share, and we don't need to be the center of attention at all times. 
But John does something interesting that's contradictory to human nature. He doesn't call attention to himself. He calls attention to Jesus. And you might say, what? Well, you know, John's doing his thing. He's baptizing. He could, you know, John's ministry is, is having its impact, but he doesn't focus on John. He focuses on Jesus. What's that all about? John knew that people could see John and still remain lost. But he knew if they saw Jesus, they could be saved. And this is what we've got to get today. People could see us. They could see what we're doing. They could see our good works. They could see our accomplishments. They could see our love for one another. But if they just see us, they can stay lost. But if they see Jesus, they can be saved. John doesn't call attention to himself, and neither should we. We should call attention to Jesus. The right view of Christmas hinges on where our attention is focused, who we are calling to attention, what we are doing as Christians and as individuals to call people's attention to Jesus, to get them to behold the Lamb of God. Now, how we celebrate Christmas can legitimately be criticized in a lot of ways. Now it gets really quiet. As... I know we love all the tradition of the season, but you know, if you study scripture really close and you even look between the lines, you're not going to find anything about Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the, somebody just felt Jesus when I said that, no Frosty, sorry buddy, no Rudolph, the, the Grinch, the Grinch is not even there, not even the book of Revelation, that's not the Grinch, no, that stuff is traditional stuff. And you can look and say that, you know, the way we celebrate Christmas, you know, can be, can be scrutinized and criticized legitimately in many ways. I mean, just the commercialism and the materialism of it. I mean, you think about what happens on Black Friday, the day after we were supposed to be thankful. Now we'll kill each other over a flat screen TV. Come on, the commercialism of Christmas, you know, all the gifts and all the buying. Have you been to the melee at the mall? Wow, thank God for Amazon. All I got to do is see my UPS driver. He, if he makes it up my driveway, I get what he's delivering. The commercialism, the materialism, it, it, it's something that we look at and, and we're like, this is not what Christmas is about. How about the lack of biblical authenticity? You know, Jesus wasn't born December 25th. Hello? Nowhere in Scripture does it mandate for us to celebrate Christmas. But we do because we have traditions and we have culture and it's part of our story. And you might look at that and you think, well, the commercialism, the materialism, the lack of a biblical mandate, the, the pagan roots, you know, there again, I can't find anywhere in here where it tells you to drag a perfectly good tree inside your home. <laughs> you know, we, we do crazy stuff. We're confusing the dog. The dog's like, I can't even bring a stick inside and you just brought a whole tree? Yeah, that's right. Where did that come from? If you, the, the, the evergreen and fertility and some of these pagan things, if you dig into it, you can realize that's not scriptural, it's cultural. So, I mean, can legitimately be criticized the secularization of the holiday. The world calls it a holiday, but then they don't make it holy. In fact, now they want to say Xmas. That really grieves my heart when people X Jesus out of Christmas. You can't take the Christ out of Christmas. And for us, it'll never be Xmas because what's left without Jesus is of no value to us. Christmas is about Christ. He is the reason for the season. He is the reason we celebrate. 
He's the reason why we drag a perfectly good tree indoors and put lights on it. What, huh? What? Julius did it. Let's blame it on poor Julius. Why do we celebrate these things the way we do? Well, it's culture, and in many ways, you can criticize that. Now, if you're inclined to focus on the negative and you want to be religious and throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater, then Christmas to you could be one big, ugly, worldly mess. But listen, if you're wiser than that, you'll see Christmas from God's point of view, and you'll realize it's an opportunity, much like the opportunity that John had when he saw Jesus coming through that crowd. It's an opportunity to call people attention at maybe the one time of year that they're actually thinking of spiritual things. It's one opportunity for us to church, for us as believers to say, behold, the Lamb of God. Because if we can get people to see Jesus as John understood, they could be changed. They could be saved. If we get people to see Jesus, if we get people to behold the Lamb of God, he can save them from their sins because he came not to just be a baby and be a religious leader and be some of these things that people say he is, but he came to save us from ourselves. There are three truths about Christmas I want to communicate to you today that we need people to see as we say, behold the Lamb of God. When we get them to behold the Lamb of God, this is what we want them to see. Number one, he is God with us. Jesus is God. He's not God Jr. He's not mini God. He's not a likeness of God. He is God. The scripture says it, and people want to make him everything else but what he is. Now, the world's been trying to ignore and marginalize and explain away to delegitimize Jesus for centuries, but it can't be done. He won't go away. He's unstoppable. His church is alive and well, and he's coming back again for a people without spot or wrinkle. You can't explain him away. You can't marginalize him. You can't X him out. He's unstoppable. Jesus is God with us. He's absolutely unique. He's impossible to ignore. He's not just, as some say, a wise man. Oh, he's a wise man or a wise teacher. He's a prophet. That's all he is. He's just, you know, he's just a prophet who had some spiritual ideas. Oh, he was a good person who did good works. He was one who started a religion. He's a historical figure and that's all he is. There are many uh, titles that people put upon him. And listen, he's all those things I just mentioned, but Matthew 1 verse 23 shows us he's infinitely more. Matthew 1 23 says, this, behold, the virgin shall be with child, messianic prophecy from the Old Testament being fulfilled, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name, listen, Emmanuel, which translates God with us. Jesus is God with us. He's the express image of the Father. Amen. His disciples at one point confused about who he really was and show us the Father. And Jesus says, have you been with me so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen. Amen. He is God, not just a man, not just a teacher, not just a religious figure. He's impossible to ignore because he is Emmanuel. He's God with us. John 1 verses 1 through 3 tells us that he is so much more uh, than what people say he is. John 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Did you hear it? 
He was in the beginning with God. He's preexistent. He's eternal. All things came into being through him. He's the creator. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus is impossible to ignore because he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's the word. He came from the Father. He was there from the beginning. He's begotten, not made. He's preexistent. He's all-knowing. He's the creator of all things. And he condescended himself, and he lowered himself, and he left his father's side to take on flesh and to be born as a child. Wow. There's no one like Jesus. Fully God and fully man. A miracle, a mystery. Behold the Lamb of God. Now, He's more than just God with us. He's more than just Emmanuel. He's also the Savior. And that's the second thing we want people to behold when they see Jesus. People may, can say, well, yeah, he's God, and he's, you know, he's from God, and we understand the Trinity. A lot of people have religious education. They have religious views, and they know about Jesus, but they don't know him. And they know that he came and who he was, but they don't understand, you know, why he came and why he died. And the reason is he actually was born to die because he is a savior. It says, who takes away the sins of the world. So behold, the lamb of God. We're going to dig into that a little bit more about what the lamb means there. But he, he came for this reason, to take away the sins of the world. Now, John calls attention to Jesus and he refers to him as the lamb. I don't know about you, but I've never, I guess maybe on some occasions I've been referred to as some sort of animal. But you don't usually call people lambs or Use your imagination. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. What in the world? What kind of pronouncement is that? But listen to me. Uh, we as Gentiles don't get this as, as quickly as Jews would, but every Jew that heard John's comment understood the spiritual significance of a lamb. Lambs were the primary sacrificial animal that was offered to God by people to cover their sin. When they heard, behold, the Lamb of God, every Jew within the sound of John's voice got it. Are you saying this is the Messiah? Are you saying this is the one who came to sacrifice himself on our behalf to, to break the power of sin over us? Behold, the Lamb of God. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. That's exactly who he is. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel, but he came to take away the sins of the world because he is Messiah. He is the Savior. Now, unlike an ordinary lamb that would be sacrificed by an individual to cover their specific sins, Jesus would soon break the power of sin over the entire world. You see, that baby that came and was laid in the manger didn't stay in the manger. But at 30 years old, he began to teach. And for three years, his public ministry was riddled with signs, wonders, and miracles. He eventually hung on a cross and was laid in a tomb and was rose again on the third day. And he's alive evermore. Amen. He broke the power of sin. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He is forever King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. He didn't come just to cover sin. He came to break its dominion over us. Death reigned over mankind 
everyone that was born of man and originated and, and took that original sin, but Jesus broke the power of it. He broke its dominion over us. He did more than cover it up. The, the blood of lambs and bulls and sheep, they can only put a temporary covering on sin. If you study the, the Mosaic law and you study the, the, the sacrificial system, all it did was put a covering on sin so that God could tolerate interaction with human beings. But now, on the other side of the cross in that empty tomb, the veil has been torn in two, that we are now covered in the blood of Jesus, made acceptable to the Father, so that we can have fellowship with God. Amen. He's the Savior. Amen. Luke 2, 10 through 11. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all people. Our text today that we heard for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is God and he is the Savior. Number three, and I'll close with this. What do we want people to pay attention to when we say, behold the Lamb? Well, he's God with us and he's the Savior of your soul. He's the lover of your soul. But we also want people to see that Jesus is not what many say he is. Jesus gets a lot of bad press. He's misunderstood and misinterpreted by so many. Even in our generation, thousands of years later, people still will debate and argue about who he is and project an image of him that's not only unbiblical, but it's, it's, it's unhealthy. Let me just tell you about Jesus and what he's not like. First of all, he's not mad. You should look a little happier. <laughs> you remember when you were kids, your whole day depended on what kind of mood your parents were in yeah. and how crazy you made them, whether you would survive to see another sunrise. <laughs> what kind of mood are they in today? Jesus is not mad. There are many who have this religious sticky, stoic, grouchy idea of God in heaven. And somehow that's projected on the sun too, that God is just uptight and he's angry and he's demanding and he's always frustrated with mankind. And that, you know, the father in heaven with Jesus are playing an unmerciful game of whack-a-mole with all of us. And they're just waiting for us to get it aligned. And every time we get it aligned, God's like, hit him. And Jesus says, I got it. Boom. <laughs> what did you do? Did you step out of line? And, and somehow we feel like, well, God's just there. And he's, you know, he's mad. And he's always, uh, he's always on edge. And he's ready, to, he's, he's ready to make me pay for stepping out of line. And that's not who Jesus is at all. Matthew 11, verse 28 says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Does that sound mad? He says, come to me. He doesn't say, leave me alone, kid, you bother me. He doesn't say, go away from me. He says, come to me. That doesn't sound mad. He says, take my yoke uh, upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Does that sound mad? No. And I, I will give you rest for your souls. That doesn't sound mad to me. He's not angry. He's not pushing us away. He, he's not telling us to, you know, keep clear, keep our distance from him. He's saying, come to me. I love you. I have rest for your souls. Uh, you can learn from me. You can trust me. I, I want to save you. I want to change you. I want to fill you. I want to thrill you. I want to give you hope and a future. That's who Jesus is. He's not mad. Number two, he's not judgmental. 
if you've ever been around judgmental people, they are exhausting. Because the, the more they judge others, the more it shows the flaws in their own character. Realize every time we point the finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at us. Okay? It, it's more than just a rhetorical thing. It, it's a good idea to realize that, you know, judgmental people are exhausting and they suck the life and the joy out of everything. Jesus is not judgmental, yet some see him as rigid and religious and inflexible and, and, and a judge, and that's not what the scripture says he is at all. John 3.16, we all know. John 3.17 is, is such an incredible verse. We should spend time meditating on that. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son in the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You see, God didn't send a judge. He sent a savior. <laughs> he sent a savior because that's exactly what we needed. And he is not judgmental. He is not looking to find fault. If you look at Jesus' interaction with people who were caught in sin when he walked to earth in his public ministry, many times there would be someone who was caught in sin and he would forgive them and say, your faith has made you whole. He'd say, go and sin no more. The woman caught in adultery, he had mercy. They had stones in their hand wanting to kill her. And he said, he was without sin. Cast the first stone. Don't you know the stones hit the ground that day, but not the woman. Jesus wiped away her tears and said, go and sin no more. He's not judgmental. He's merciful. He's not judgmental. He's the lover of your soul. He's not mad today. He says, come to me. Number three, he's not indifferent towards us. Do you know, there are people who like you. There are people who don't like you, but they're not the worst of people. The worst of people are indifferent towards you. I would rather have someone not like me than someone be indifferent towards me. You say, I don't understand that. I'll explain it to you. When, you don't, when someone says, I don't like you, well, we can work from there. And, you know, with a little bit of effort and an open mind, I can show you what a great guy I really am. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> so, you know, we can work from there. If you say, I, I like you a lot, well, we can work from there. But if you look at me and go, you don't matter to me either way. I don't care about you at all. You have no effect on my life. I'm indifferent towards you. That is the worst way to treat another human being. You see, and many think that that's the way God is towards us. He's indifferent towards us. The agnostic or the atheist says, well, there could be a God, but you know, we can't tell. And surely he has no interaction with us. He doesn't care about us. What a lie from the pit of hell. He's not indifferent towards us. In fact, scripture shows us the exact opposite, that he, he is not some type of judgmental, angry you know, person who wants to be disconnected. He says, come to me. He, he has open arms towards us. People see Jesus as aloof and disconnected from silly and sinful mankind, too holy and perfect to relate to. But Hebrews says the exact opposite. Hebrews 4.14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. Wow! <laughs> That's who he is! He's the lover of our soul. He's not angry. 
He's not grouchy. He's not judgmental. He's not indifferent. He's been tempted like we were tempted. Remember, he left his father's side. He, he was born a natural birth. He took on flesh. He put on the earth suit. What, what came with that? All the weaknesses and the temptations that we face, he can relate to us. <laughs> and he's the lover of our soul. Never let anyone tell you that God is indifferent towards you. He is so passionately in love with you. He sent his very best in that manger. Number four, the last thing that I want to tell you he's not, is he's not someone to play favorites. Many would say, well, you know, God is, you know, he's loving and he's kind and he's forgiving and he's merciful, but you know, he has his favorites and I'm not lucky enough to be one of them. The person who says, well, you know, if I came to church, the roof would fall in. Because why? What's the, what's the underlying, you know, maybe that's partially an excuse, but the underlying thing is there, God would never accept me. God likes everybody. God has mercy for everybody, but not me. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there now. I want to tell you something that's completely untrue. God doesn't play favorites. Others think that, you know, well, God has his favorites, and I'm just, that's a lucky few, and I'm not one of them. Romans 10, 12 through 13, there is no difference between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 10, 34, Peter says, then Peter opened his mouth and he said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that fears him and does righteousness is accepted by him. God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't play favorites. God's not willing that any should perish. Salvation is open to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. He's not mad, he's not judgmental, he's not indifferent, and he doesn't play favorites. So we're out of excuses. He's the savior, he's the Messiah. He's not a judge, but he is the lover of our souls. And I wanna encourage you today to get others to behold the lamb. In just a moment, Kelly and Giovanna are gonna come and they're gonna sing a song to us that will be the conclusion to my message. And I hope that today, wherever you are at in your walk, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, or maybe today is gonna be the day where you get to meet him and accept him personally as Savior and Lord. Wherever you're at in your walk, I pray that this would minister to you and that your heart would be open to seeing and beholding who the Lamb is. I wanna give you this opportunity. Many men have spoken during historic times and events, but those words were left in those times. But an angel came and said, for unto you is born this day. It was personal. He says, it's unto you. It's born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. I don't know about you, but that word passes through time and visits us here today. Now, many of you come here today some of you come here today and, and it's, it's the Christmas season, you've received the Lord. But maybe there's someone here today, you're struggling with something in your life. And that you're wrestling with that word. You're wrestling with the, the, the word of the angel. For unto you was born this day in the city of David. I wrestled with it when I was 19. But then confronted again in my early 20s and realized I needed it. I needed that word. I needed that savior. I needed a change. I needed deliverance. I needed hope. 
I needed to get free from anger. I needed to find forgiveness. And I found it in Jesus Christ. With every head bowed, I want to give an opportunity today. You may have seen Christmas as a commercial thing. You may have seen it as a religious, th- religious thing, but never seen it as a personal thing. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. He's Christ the Lord. He's King. And He wants to come and be born in your life and change you. And if this, if this is ringing in your heart, if you feel it's talking on your heart, that's the Holy Spirit and He's saying, now's your time. And if that's you, if you kindly raise your hand, it's your day to receive Jesus as Savior. You know, we sing about him. We worshiped him today. We talked about him. But now is the time for you to receive him. Since we're all home, folks, it's a beautiful time. And it was great to be with you today and, and, and rejoice and, and be with the Savior. God bless you this morning. Before we do the blessing today, I just need to ask for your help because we have no service on Wednesday evening and our Christmas party is on Friday. We're going to be setting up for the party after service today. So we're asking for some help to bring in some tables from the room just down the hallway here. We're going to move chairs to the side, roll in some tables, and set up seven chairs per table. So if you can stay for a few minutes, many hands make light work, and just help the hospitality team prepare for our uh, Christmas party on Friday. It would be so appreciated. Please stand to receive the blessing. Isaiah 9:6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. May you know him more deeply as Counselor, as a mighty God who can do all things, as your loving Father, and as your perfect peace. Be blessed in Jesus' name.